Hi, welcome to Play Therapy Across the Lifespan. This is a podcast to help counseling professionals and students use play therapy to facilitate deep healing. I'm glad you found us. I'm Dr. Denise Thomas, and I coordinate the play therapy specialization at Lipscomb University in Nashville. We've created this place for learning, growing, and being real. Play therapy can be exhausting, but so rewarding. Thanks for inviting us to join you on your journey. In season one, we want to start with the basics. How do you do this play therapy thing? Around here, we believe that play therapy is more than just kids. So we'll talk about using it with adults and adolescents too. I know there's something for you. So let's get started. Welcome back to Play Therapy Across the Lifespan for Episode 3. This season is all about the basics of play therapy. In the first episode, we talked about training, toys, and setting up your play space. In Episode 2, we talked about creating emotional safety through the relationship. If you haven't already listened to those, I encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes first. We're going to build on that information today. So today, we want to focus on active listening. What I mean by active listening is hearing all that your client is communicating to you with words, metaphors, nonverbal communication, and symbolic play. That means all the client says and does is telling you something. Your job is to take it in and filter it back out through reflective responses. More on reflections next time. Depending on your theoretical approach, you may or may not offer interpretations. I lean towards trusting the client to interpret his or her own work, but I notice a lot. Active listening always begins with empathy. As I try to understand my client's world from the client's perspective, I increase my empathy for clients, and hopefully they pick up on that. Then I say what I am hearing from the client. We call that a reflection. That reflection may be saying their words back to them or saying what I notice from their nonverbal actions. Or it might be a hunch based on all that I am receiving in communication combined with my professional intuition. Sometimes I am right with the client and they know I get it. Sometimes I misunderstand, but clients usually clarify in some way. They might say something like, No, that's not right. Or they might just give you a look. In those cases, I just try again because the goal isn't to be right every time I reflect. The goal is to build the relationship with my client. And that happens when they clarify too. Imagine that your client is tossing out all kinds of information. She says, these are the bad guys as she lines up the forest animals with a particularly menacing gorilla leading the group. She scowls at the gorilla. You take in all that information, verbal and nonverbal, and tell the client what she is communicating. So you might say something like, those are the bad guys, and you really don't like that one, as you point at the gorilla. Active listening is about being right there with your client.
active listening is the same with adolescents and adults. It's just that what they are showing you in their play might look different. While children move around the room and physically engage in play to express themselves, adolescents and adults tend to stay in the same seated position. However, they show you a lot through expressive play. For example, even if the client is simply doodling while talking to you, the pressure on the pencil might change, or the images might become different, or she might become highly focused on adding a detail. That is what you want to reflect back in active listening. You take in all that information and you say it back to the client. So you might say something like, when you started talking about that fight with your mom, you started pushing down harder on the pencil. That's interesting. You don't want to scrutinize or scare the client with interpretations, but what you are doing is pulling all that clients say and do together to show them. This becomes more powerful when you can identify emotions that the clients are showing, but maybe not even aware of. One way to help you feel what they feel is to mirror their body language. By shifting your physical posture to reflect theirs, your physical sensations will provide a clue about the underlying emotion. Finally, you want to look for patterns between what clients tell you and show you. Sometimes the discrepancy is important, too. So if that client is telling you about the fight with her mom, her shoulders are hunched forward, and she sighs deeply, you might reflect back, fighting with your mom seems to be heavy and hard for you. Fighting with your mom came from her words. Heavy came from noticing her shoulders. And the big sigh was a suggestion that this feels hard. Active listening is a skill. It can be learned, but it takes practice. Try it out in a conversation today. Listen to the words, notice the body language, and see if you can detect the emotion. Synthesize that information and say it back to the person and see what happens. Hi, I'm Caitlin, and I recently earned a graduate degree from Lipscomb University. Located in Nashville, Tennessee, Lipscomb University offers a KCREP accredited Master of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling. One of only 29 approved play therapy centers in the world, Lipscomb's Clinical Mental Health Counseling degree is designed to include a specialization in play therapy. Graduates can become a licensed professional counselor with a mental health service provider designation. Accepting applications now. More information at lipscomb.edu slash counseling. People that love play therapy tend to be the kind of people that love fun, creativity, and relationships. They're the same people that twitch at the word research. Yet research is the backbone of this treatment modality. It gives our profession credibility, and it helps us become better at what we do as we learn about what works. I teach my students in the first semester to learn how to read a research article in 15 minutes or less. Yes, skimming is absolutely allowed. 
If you did this every workday for a year, you'd read about 250 articles instead of letting those journals pile up as unread reminders. And that's barely 3% of your work week. Rachel Sellers is that rare individual that is passionate about working with kids, but also passionate about research. She's going to share some of the current research in play therapy, and I promise it won't be dull and boring. Today, we are going to explore the relationship between mirror neurons, empathy, and dance and movement therapy. My intention in this brief segment is to help you understand how mirror neurons allow us to show empathy to others and how empathetic reflection can be used in dance and movement therapy. First, let's talk mirror neurons. These are brain cells that allow us to show empathy, to communicate with our bodies and minds that we are right there with our clients, not just cognitively, but emotionally. A group of really smart Italian neuroscientists discovered this. Their subject was not a person, but a monkey, who was performing actions like grasping objects with its hands. And they found that neurons were not only activated in the brain of the monkey doing the actions, but also in the monkey or human watching those actions. And this is where the name mirror neurons comes from. It's the same set of neurons activated in the observer, basically mimics the emotion or the behavior activated in the doer. So mirror neurons make empathy possible. Mirroring begins very early in childhood when a new mother locks eyes with her newborn. And though this action may just seem super sweet, which it is, there's also some really cool stuff happening beneath the surface. What that mother is doing is fostering a normal attachment and attunement schema for that child. A zillion neurons are firing and pathways are being formed that will ultimately allow the child to be able to attune to and demonstrate empathy to others as it gets older. My research for this segment led me to discover a woman and pioneer in the dance and movement therapy world named Marion Chase. She believed that dance wasn't just about technique, but about communication and connection. In the 40s, she began working with unmedicated World War II veterans in psychiatric wards, and she used dance therapy. She used empathetic reflection, reflecting the patient's moods, movements, and sounds. She essentially mirrored them. She began to embody their feelings. And this is how she built a relationship with them and she entered into their world. This kind of exchange is the heart of therapy. This reciprocal connection is the therapeutic alliance. I also read about a choreographer, Bill Jones, who led workshops for people who were confronting life-threatening illnesses like AIDS and cancer, who wanted to express the shared human experience of mortality. And after a basic warm-up with the group, Bill performed a dance, a piece composed of both movement and spoken captions. He used his whole body to tell his story, then instructed the participants to do the same. The author of this article was able to attend a performance of this group, and I'd like to conclude with her personal words about what it was like for her to observe. She says, I observed the performers, listened to the accompanying music and verse, and viewed the video displaying the emotion-filled faces of the workshop participants. Dreamlike now, what remains are memory traces of kinesthetic and affective sensations evoked in me, the richness of the visual and auditory sensations that stirred me. As an outwardly silent, non-moving witness, I can only imagine the array of busily discharging mirror neurons circulating through different regions of my brain. And the content of this episode was taken from two specific journal articles, and we'll link both of those in the show notes.
For today's suggestion in the resources, we'd like to suggest The Creative Arts and Counseling. It's a book by Samuel T. Gladding, and it's chock full of great techniques and resources and suggestions for using the expressive arts in your counseling work. Thanks for listening. Maybe active listening to today's show. Try this today. Practice active listening with someone and see what happens. Don't forget to subscribe so you automatically get each new episode. You can find links to research and references in the show notes or at our website at playtherapypodcast.org. Play Therapy Across the Lifespan is made possible through the Lipscomb University Center for Play Therapy and Expressive Arts. If you have comments or questions, I'd love to hear them. Send us an email at playtherapypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to grad student Rachel Sellers. As always, audio engineer Sheldon Clark makes us sound great. And if you love this song as much as I do, check out Sarah Beth Goh, who wrote it after her first play therapy class. I think she gets it. I'm your host, Dr. Denise Thomas. Go play, create, and heal. got so much to say and not a lot of words I'll come along and believe that your song isn't broken soon you're going to see that you've got what you Your life isn't broken Soon you're going to see That you've got